Hi, welcome to the StoryWorth podcast. We're glad you're here. I'm your host, Krista Baum, co-founder of StoryWorth. On this podcast, we feature true stories written by StoryWorth writers. If you're new to StoryWorth, we help people write their life stories, the big stories and the small ones. Once a week, we send our writers a question to help inspire their writing. They reply to the email with an answer or story that comes to mind. At the end of the year, we print what they've written into a beautiful keepsake book. Every story written using StoryWorth is private, but for this podcast, the writers volunteered to share their stories publicly with you. Happy New Year! Instead of a story about new beginnings or resolutions, I'm sure you're hearing a lot about that at this time of year, I wanted to share this very funny story about childhood pranks. Then we'll talk to the author and lifelong prankster, Brian Hardy. Today's story is read by voice actor, Ryan Galland. Both sides of our family, the Hardys and the Tardifs, are riddled with pranksters. This prankster trait is passed from generation to generation. My brothers and I received a healthy dose of that gene. Before I tell you about my greatest prank, I want to tell you about a trick that Dad pulled on his mother, Ernestine. Dad grew up in the 1940s. He liked to hide anywhere he could, then jump out and scare his mom. One day he decided he would hide inside the refrigerator. When Grammy pulled open the door, he would really put a scare into her. He thought, won't you be surprised when a small boy comes leaping out of the refrigerator? Refrigerators in those days had a hard latch, which kept the door closed. They couldn't be opened from the inside. One morning before breakfast, Dad climbed inside the refrigerator thinking, this is going to be the best prank ever. He hadn't been inside the fridge for more than a minute when the phone rang. Grammy picked up the phone. It was her good friend, Ginny. Grammy loved to talk, especially on the phone. The conversation rambled on, first about the war, then about the kids, recipes, gardening, and laundry. Grammy was known to stay on the phone, chatting away for an hour. Minute by minute, Dad began to get colder and started to find it more difficult to breathe. And he was thinking, Mom, hang up the phone! Mom, please hang up the phone! Once his teeth began to chatter and his fingers turned blue, he couldn't wait any longer to surprise his mom. Dad pushed against the refrigerator door. It wouldn't open. He pushed a little harder. It still wouldn't open. Desperate, he began banging on the door from inside the refrigerator. Grammy said, what in the world? And told Ginny, I'll call you later. Grammy hung up the phone and pulled open the refrigerator door. She found a little blue boy inside with icicles under his nose. She asked, Brian, what on earth are you doing inside the refrigerator? The cold, scared boy answered, I was hungry and looking for something to eat. Thankfully, Dad never attempted this prank again. When we moved into the house on Mohawk Drive, our neighborhood was still expanding. There were cornfields surrounding our development on every side. It was interesting to watch the corn grow throughout the summer. I remember hearing the old adage, knee-high by the 4th of July. Depending on the weather, some years the stocks exceeded this height and sometimes not. Needless to say, there was plenty of corn around the neighborhood. In the late summer and early fall, we would play hide-and-seek in the cornfields. Once we had made paths from our game, we found the stalks lying in the field with the ears of corn. We didn't want the fallen corn to go to waste, so we picked it up, put it in a paper bag, and carried it home. Once home, we peeled the outer covering and husk from the corn. Then holding the ear with one hand, we used the thumb from our other hand to push the kernels off the cob and back into the paper bag. This continued until we had three to five pounds of corn kernels in the bag. These kernels became the ammunition for our prank, tic-tacking. Tic-tacking was performed using a three-person team. We waited until nighttime and used the cover of darkness for concealment. 
Each member carried his own bag of corn kernels. The team moved to a position near the house, behind some bushes. It was important to be close enough to the house to reach it with a throw, but not too close to risk being caught by the owner. Most houses in East Allen Township had aluminum siding. The corn made a distinctive sound when it ricocheted off the siding. It sounded to us like, bap, 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 bap. But I guess the originators of this trick thought it sounded like tick, tack, tick, tack. I guess they just didn't throw it hard enough. I never targeted a house that received the newspaper. I didn't want to tarnish my sterling reputation as their paperboy. One night, we chose a house in the newer part of the neighborhood. We took up good positions behind some boxwood bushes. On the count of three, we hurled our first volley. Bap, 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 bap. The porch light came on and a man came outside. He was dressed in shorts, a t-shirt, and slippers. He looked around for a minute but remained on the porch. Then he went back inside and shut off the porch light. We hid behind the bushes until he was back inside. Then we looked at each other and began laughing, trying to be as quiet as possible. We prepared ourselves for a second attack. Grabbing another handful of corn, we took aim and launched volley number two at the side of the house. Bap, 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 bap. The same scenario played out. The porch light came on and the same man came outside. He seemed agitated, but didn't yell. Again, he remained on the porch, looked around, then returned inside and shut off the porch light. The second attack had been more successful than the first. We laughed a little louder this time and discussed our next moves. I wanted to go on to the next house, but Randy and Henry said, no, let's get him one more time. I was nervous. I am younger and run much slower. My friends didn't need to run faster than the angry homeowner, just faster than me. Randy said, don't worry, we won't get caught. He's too lazy to get off the porch. We grabbed another handful of corn and fired at the siding. Bap, 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 bap. Wow, this time seemed much louder than the first two. We sat silently, but no light came on. We waited a little longer, but the man didn't come out. All of a sudden, the front door flew open. A German Shepherd dog came running out of the house, barking and growling. At first, the dog didn't pick up our scent. He stopped in the middle of the front yard, sniffing the air. This gave us just enough time to run away as fast as we could. The dog chased us, but by God's grace, we were able to get away. I'm not sure how far we ran that night, but it seemed like miles. During the chase, I got separated from Randy and Henry. When I finally stopped running, I found myself alone and on the outskirts of the neighborhood. Once I caught my breath, I walked home, hiding in every shadow along the way. I was so scared that I didn't tic-tac again for the rest of the year. I left Pennsylvania in 1978 and haven't heard the term tic-tacking since then. Pranks are fine when you can control the outcome, but left uncontrolled, faulty pranks can be hazardous to your health. Benny Hill, a famous British comedian, said it best, do unto others, then run. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Can I tell you, I loved this story. Um, can I share with you why? Sure. <laughs> it took me back to this. So I was like a young teenager, but I was staying home alone for maybe the first time. But if it wasn't the first time, it was like one of the first times. And it was the summer and all of a sudden I started, it was evening, not night, not day. It was evening. And I started hearing this like tapping on my window and the, like the, the dining room window, which is the front of the house. Right. And I was like, what's that? You know? And I like opened the door and I looked around and like nothing. And so I'm like, hmm, that's weird, you know? And then some time passes and it happens again. And I was like, what's up? 
like when something's going on and I go and I open the door again and I look around and it's not dark yet. So I'm like brave enough to like go out a few steps and look around and it keeps happening and then it's dark and I'm like, mm, something like it's starting to make me nervous. And so I called my friend and she's like, she comes over. Then it happens. She's like, while she's there, she's like, do you want to stay at my house tonight? I'm like, yes. And so we actually <laughs> left. And then my family was back the next day. And my dad's like, hey, do you know what to make of this? And someone, so you know how a Band-Aid, it has like right, two sticky right. sides and the bandage in the middle. Somebody had attached the sticky side to the window, a penny to the other side on the bottom and run a fishing line around it. So they were uh, tapping the window with a penny from like some distance that went beyond our hedges. So this story reminded me so much of that prank. And I still don't know who did it, but it was like super successful because it literally scared me out of my own house that night. So anyway, brought me right back to that moment. Anyway, tell me a little bit about yourself, Brian. How, where are you? And how did you get started with StoryWorth? Uh, I live in North Carolina. I'm married. I have three daughters. My youngest daughter gave me a subscription to StoryWorth for Father's Day. So mm-hmm. I finished my book uh, in July and I brought, we had a family reunion in August and I brought copies of my book and gave it to some of my family. So that was nice. And my book is basically, but, it's yeah. about my memoirs as a Pennsylvania paper boy. I started as a paper boy when I was I eight years it. old and we delivered newspapers seven days a week, 364 days a year. I have a lot of memories and stories along with my brothers and sister. I uh, grew up in a very strict- Did you ever miss a day of your paper route or did you have like this? No, we didn't miss any days. My dad was very strict. Uh, He raised us basically with three principles in mind. Number one, we need to make sure we have a strong faith in God, good family values and strong work ethic. So- yeah. We, my bro- oldest brother started the paper out when he was 11 and then everybody got involved with it as we grew up. So I think I was a member of our paper boy for our paper out for eight years. And we did the only Damn. day we didn't deliver was Christmas. Yeah. It makes sense to me now that you didn't let your pranks interfere with your paper out business, <laughs> especially since it was well, a, a strict family affair. One of the toughest parts about delivering the papers was we had to go collect from our customers. So every two weeks we had to go to their house, knock on their door and ask for payment. And I know how tough it is to ask people for money as an adult. And looking back at having to do this every two weeks and a lot of customers turning us away and making us come back multiple times. I mean, it was pretty, pretty tough. Very good learning experience. Yeah. Yeah. I remember helping my brother with this paper route, like on the rainy days helping like right. stuff them into the plastic bags. It was like a, there was, I mean, it was an early morning. It's like kind of a tough gig for a little kid. It is right? tough. I mean, my, my yeah. sister, I don't remember her having much to do with the paper route. So one of the stories is she's old, my older sister. So she kind of rode rough herd over me and my two younger brothers. And she was pretty yeah. strict herself, but I, I put in the book that, oh, I don't remember my sister ever being involved with the paper route. So she didn't have any sympathy for us when we came home on Saturdays and wanted to just take her clothes off and throw them down in the, in the, in the living room and watch cartoons. So she's like, oh, I had something to do with the paper. I'm like, ah, had it. so I put something in there. Like, yeah, she delivered a few papers, but she doesn't really know how hard it is for a young, young boy to have to deliver papers seven days a week. So, I mean, you were in Pennsylvania, right? 
Right. So right. there's weather, there's snow, there's, you know, like, yeah. were you on your, were you on your bike or were you on foot? It was on, we were on foot. So there was a couple of far papers that were two papers in one direction, pretty far and two direct, two papers in another direction, pretty far. And when my youngest brother finally joined a paper up, that was his job that we gave him. So, so every, I mean, every Sunday we had church and when we came home from church, usually my dad cooked Sunday uh, lunch. So at the end of the mm -hmm. meal, um, when everybody finished eating and the, ta the table was cleared, my dad would go around the table one kid at a time. Well, basically, first he'd just ask, does anybody have anything they want to bring up the meeting? And usually the kids just want to get down from the meeting and go play. But mm -hmm. my youngest brothers always had something to complain about. So right. <laughs> and my youngest brother said, I want to, I, I want to, I have something to discuss. I'm going on strike. And I was like, what? You're going on strike against your own family? But my dad <laughs> ended up giving him a raise and, the strike was averted, but that's, that's another well, it worked, story. Right. Um, you mentioned in your book that your both your mom's family and your dad's family were pranksters. Uh, did you also marry a prankster? No, no. Bit... <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we'd both be on our toes every day. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it wouldn't work. So, uh, my um, girls are, I think all three of my girls are pranksters, but. We lived in Missouri, and my oldest daughter, Megan, climbed up in a tree, and she tried to pretend like there was an animal up there. My two younger daughters were maybe four, five, six years old, and they would go over there, and she'd be up in the tree, and she'd be shaking, <laughs> shaking the limbs in the tree, and the kids just freaked, and they'd come running over, Dad, Dad, there's a sh the shake, the shake. And I'm like, what? The tree, there's, a, there's an animal in the tree. <laughs> I walked over there and it was their sister. So, uh, were you proud or were you like, get down here? Yeah, no, no. I think all of them have a good sense of humor. You know, sure. we, I included a bunch of stories about all of them in their own personal chapters. So it was, yeah. it was fun. It was, it's been a lot of fun. So your dad was a prankster and you were a prankster. Did you guys prank together? Did you team up or were you ever pranking each other? My dad, <laughs> my, my dad was gone. My dad worked so much. He was very famous for one-liners. I mean, he always had a comeback for everything. So, can you share one of them with us? So my yeah. my dad, he used to like to drink when he was off on Friday or Saturday, and then he he'd get up in the morning and he would say, "Whoo, must have been the sleep that did it because I felt great when I went to bed." Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sounds like kind of a charming guy. Um, oh, but he's he passed away back in two thousand six. So. Yeah, well, I'm sorry to hear that, but you had a good oh, dad, it sounds like. Yeah. yeah, oh yeah. You, How did the rest of your family feel about the pranking? Was it something that really stressed out your mom? Did she ever know that you and your buddies were out kind of tic-tacking the neighbors? Uh, or... Back in those days, I mean, back in the late 60s and 70s, I mean, our, there wasn't a lot of TV. There wasn't video games. There was no computers, obviously. So mm -hmm. most of our time was spent outside. So if we were hanging around the house during the summertime, she'd be like, if you don't have anything to do, I'll find something for you to do. So we'd spend all day out, you know, and we'd find things yeah. to do. And usually we just had to be home by dinner time. My brother, he was a junior and he was, I already had his license. And he, one day I was really down in the dumps getting ready for school. And he's like, you want to cut school today? And I said, yeah. <laughs> he's like, well, meet me in the parking lot. You know, at, when you get off the bus, just walk over to the, to the high school parking lot and then, get in the car and we'll go we're gonna we're gonna cut school today he we ended up driving up to to the to the horse racing up in new york that day it was probably the best 
our best day ever in uh, middle school. Yeah. And we had a great day and we came back and he's like, did you have a good time today? I said, I sure did. He's like, well, don't tell anybody. <laughs> um, so you're a really talented writer. What did you do for a living? Were you, was writing a part of your job? I or? No, I graduated high school in Mexico City. And my dad okay. had moved down there. Uh, he moved us down there to start up a new manufacturing plant down in uh, outside Mexico City. Mm-hmm. And when I graduated, none of my applications for school were uh, received in time for me to get accepted for the fall. So I didn't know what to do with myself. I joined the Army. Mm-hmm. So I joined the Army at 18, and then I spent 20 years in the Army. Did your army career take you, were you stationed at a lot of different places or were you able to stay? Yeah, my wife and I moved 12 times in 20 years. So, oh my gosh. I mean, I was stationed in Alaska for four years. I was stationed in Germany for three years. I uh, got a chance to de- deploy into the Soviet Union. Oh, no, still the Soviet Union. Mm. Um, I was a Russian interpreter for, I don't know if you remember the INF Treaty in 1988. We were reducing nuclear weapons, mm. uh, intermediate range nuclear weapons. I was a translator, Russian translator, for one of the teams that went to into the Soviet Union to verify what the Soviet Union had said that the number of missiles they had on a specific base. We had to go and verify that. And yeah, right also went, trust and verify, trust but verify. Right, remember trust that. and yeah. verify, trust and verify. Yeah. So, and uh, we had to go and watch them destroy some of their launcher equipment as mm-hmm. well. So. Where did you pick up Russian? I would have expected maybe some Spanish if you were living in Mexico City, but where did you learn Russian? Uh, I got sent to the uh, Defense Language Institute in California. In Monterey. Yeah, it's in Monterey. Yeah, in Monterey. no, I grew up in the in the Bay Area, so I know, and no, not the Monterey Bay. But the same. I think that's probably the most beautiful place I've ever been, Monterey, California. I agree beautiful. with you. It's special, so, for sure. It's a really yeah. special place. Well, I can see why you would have lots of stories to tell. I'm really, thank you for sharing this one with us and, no, you're welcome. and, and your time. It's been a real no, pleasure. You're welcome. Thanks for joining us today. If you want to get started writing your life stories or want to give the gift of StoryWorth to a loved one, head over to StoryWorth.com. We'll be back in two weeks with another story submitted by one of our authors. And in the meantime, if you want one of your stories to be considered for the podcast, head to StoryWorth.com slash podcast. StoryWorth is a production of Evergreen Podcasts, hosted by me, Krista Baum, and produced by Aaron Land. We get production help from Wendy Sabroso, and our mix engineer is Zach Hurst. Thank you, thank you, thank you, you guys. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>